Today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. If you look at nothing else, uh, I want you to understand the truth that it shares in here, that Jesus is building his church. Uh, Jesus is doing it. And so if he's going to do it, my money's on him to do it right, and to do it perfectly, and to do it unto completion, and to do it exactly in the way that he desires to do it. And so we can take great comfort in the fact that Jesus is building his church, and as we're going to see in here, that he's building his church uh, with stone, with rock. And we've got this great visual example here in our church building that we've been given, and if, you, if you've never done it, take a look out here in this alcove out here or out the back side of the building. Uh, this is a beautiful stone structure, and I was actually talking with a couple in church this weekend, and she lives here in the neighborhood and knew or knew of the guy who, there was a guy who lived here in the neighborhood who's the one who built this church, and I was like, man, I would have loved to have met him and talked with him because uh, back in, you know, whatever, the 1920s when they're building this, they did a phenomenal job. This thing is going nowhere, right? <laughs> I mean, it's rock solid, and we bought it for, you can even buy the land for what we bought this thing for, um, and so we got an incredible deal by the blood, sweat, and tears of, uh, of godly men and women who went before us who invested into this. Uh, but it's a beautiful picture. When you take a look at this stone wall out here and just see the perfectly way, perfect way that it's fit together and it's, it's the same types of stones. They're all shaped a little different. There's some different coloration, but it's the same, uh, the same matter, the same, the same uh, substance that was used in this wall. And if you'd come to this, uh, to this builder and you had said, hey, hey, I've got, I've got some great two-by-fours I want to lend to you, he might say, hey, I, I could use them later maybe, but, but not in this wall. <laughs> this is a stone wall, right? You could say, hey, I've got, a, I've got some cinder block or I've got some bricks. No, 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 thank you. <laughs> I've got some new plastic materials. No, no, no. This is a stone wall, right? And that's how Jesus feels about his church. He says, hey, I'm going to build my church and I'm going to do it the right way. And I'm building it out of stone. And so the question that as we come into the passage this morning is to say, hey, am I, am I of the substance that Jesus is using to build his church? Does that describe me? Am I a stone that he's using, that he's perfectly formed and shaped, and maybe he's chipping some edges off of you right now so that you'll fit in just right? But, but are, you, are you of the substance that Jesus is using to build his church. Think about that this morning as we enter into this. Let's pray and we'll, we'll jump into the passage. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this chance to come and to worship, to serve you this morning. Our request is simple, Lord. Reveal yourself to us. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us this morning. Reveal yourself to us in this place. Reveal yourself to us in a way that changes us. Reveal yourself to us so that we know who you are. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter 16, we're going to look at uh, verses 13 through 20. I want to read it for you, and then we'll, and then we'll begin to, to, to break it down. And so it says, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you 
but my Father who is in heaven. And I, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Amen. That's our passage for today. And, and if I were to summarize what this passage is saying, here's, it, it, it's, a, it's a long summary, okay? <laughs> right? But it says, uh, knowing and believing that Jesus is the Christ is a blessed gift from God that identifies those who are part of the church that he is building. Let me hit you with that one more time because that's long and it's something to process, right? Knowing and believing that Jesus is the Christ is a blessed gift from God that identifies those who are part of the church that he is building. That's the central truth we want to wrap our hearts around this morning. And so we're going to come at it with three questions. Number one, who is Jesus? What is the identity of Jesus? Who is Jesus as revealed in this passage? Number two, how do we come to know this? How do we come to this knowledge of who Jesus is? And then number three, what is the result of that knowledge? What difference does it make? Who is he? How do we come to know it? What difference does it make in our lives? So let's begin with who is Jesus. We're told in the passage that he's speaking to them at Caesarea Philippi, and, and this was a city that was actually built by Philip, and he built it to honor Caesar. Uh, but there was another town named Caesarea just up the coast, and so in order to dis distinguish it from that, he said, well, let's name it Caesarea Philippi. So I'm going to honor you, but I'm going to actually honor myself a little bit in there too. Right? Like, I mean, I built the city, so throw my name in there, right? So it's a city where these men are being honored, Caesar was worshipped as a god. He had deity status in the Roman culture. It was also a place where Baal was worshipped, who was a false god, a god of, of the peoples of that land. And Pan was also worshipped there. So there's this big temple and celebration of, of Pan. And so they walk into this town and everybody is worshipping something or someone. Some people are worshipping multiple deities. People are all over the place. And in that context, Jesus comes and says, hey, who am I? Where do I fit into all this? sounds a little bit like our culture, right? So we can relate to this, right? If, if you were to walk into America today and look at all the things that we're worshiping, you say, hey, where do I fit in? Who do people say that I am? Well, the crowd says, uh, some people say that you're John the Baptist. That's weird, right? <laughs> because John the Baptist lived at the same time as Jesus. In fact, at one point, John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the, in the river. And so, according to all the sci-fi movies I watched, there should have been some sort of weird doppelganger effect where, like, things, like, fell apart because they were the same person interacting with each other, right? But, um, but oddly enough, it says that Herod actually believed, uh, after John the Baptist was killed, that, that Jesus was John the Baptist come again. And so there were people that actually, they believed this. Or, or some said that he was Elijah, uh, and he did great miracles like Elijah, and so that, that kind of made sense. That would be illogical. He was, he was actually able to raise people from the dead, and, and Elijah did those sort of things. Uh, some said he was Jeremiah. We don't have it in the Old Testament scriptures, but there were some extra-biblical books that kind of pointed to the fact that the prophet Jeremiah would return before the Messiah came. And so, so they all saw him either as the return of a great man of God or... Uh, a, a harbinger of the fact that the Messiah was coming, or maybe even at best in their estimation, that he was the Messiah who was going to come and rule and reign and throw off Roman oppression and bring Israel to their rightful place as ruling uh, nation in the world and that all the other nations would have to come and bow down before them. And so they had all these different ideas. And Jesus even inadvertently, or maybe very purposefully, throws his own thing into the mix. He says, hey, who do they say the Son of Man is? 
Well, Jesus liked to call himself the Son of Man. It was the title that he preferred for himself, and it was also a prophetic title that pointed to the Messiah. And listen to what the title that he liked, listen to what it says. Uh, it comes from Daniel chapter 7, in verses 13 and 14. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Listen to this kingdom that he has. A kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so when Jesus says, hey, who do they say the Son of Man is? He's like, hey, let me give you a hint. <laughs> Here's how I view myself. You know, the, the prophecies that said, I would not just be the, the Jewish Messiah, but the Messiah for the whole world, the Savior of the whole world, that all nations and all languages and all tongues would come and, and serve and bow down before me and my kingdom would never end. Who do they say that that, that, that guy is, right? So he's, he's kind of giving them a little bit of a hint, right? Well, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Um. And now, now, Christ was not a family name for Jesus. It wasn't his last name, right? Jesus Christ is not the same as Ezra Strickhauser or Martin Luther or, or Donald Trump, right? Like, Christ was not his last name. It was a, it was a title that was placed on him. At, at best, Jesus of Nazareth probably would have been the closest thing he had to a family name. Uh, but Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who is distinct, who is set apart, uh, the, 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 the one who's holy and separate. And, and so when he says you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he's pointing to the fact that you're the Messiah who is the son of the one true God, not these false gods that they worship, not Pan, not Baal, not a man who claims to be God. You're the son of the God who created the universe. You're the son of the one true God. You are unique and distinct from any expectation that people had from you. They think that you're some sort of specific kind of Messiah, but you're far greater than that. You're so much more than what they say. And Jesus says, bingo. <laughs> you got it. You nailed it, right? How do we apply this to us today? I want you to take a moment and just, I want you to think. If Jesus were here in the room physically, bodily, today, I think it's very likely that he would look at you and he would say, who do you say that I am? Take a moment to think about that. How would you answer that question? What would you say? Honestly, you can be honest because I'm not going to call on you. And it's best to be honest with yourself. Now, if you're like me, you would cheat and you would say, hey, what's the text say? <laughs> okay, I know the answer. The correct answer is the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Uh, it's kind of like the old joke they have like in Sunday school where a teacher says, a uh, Sunday school teacher says to the class, hey, uh, what, what has four legs and fur and wags its tail and barks and, and none of the kids want to answer? And, and then finally one little boy kind of sheepishly raises his hand and he's like, yeah. And he's like, well, it sure sounds like a dog, but, but I think the answer is Jesus, right? <laughs> We know the Sunday school answer. We know what we're supposed to say. My kids do the same thing when I do Bible stories. It doesn't matter what I'm reading. I, I test them. Hey, are you guys listening? What, who am I talking about? Who is that? Jesus? No. <laughs> nope, that was Jonah, right? Like, I, way off, but you're in the right neighborhood, right book. And ultimately, it does come back to Jesus, so that's never a bad answer. But, but, but we're not looking for the... You, you could say, okay, you're the Christ, the son of the risen God, the son of the living God, but, but what does that mean to you? If you said that, what would that mean? Does the evidence of your life point to that? If somebody watched you and just shouted you for a week and walked around, 
would they come out the other side of that week saying, this person believes that Jesus is, is the Christ, the Messiah. They believe that he's the actual son of the living God. They believe he was the sinless savior of the world, the one who lived and never sinned, lived a perfect life, and then gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And even though they're a sinner, they believe that because he did that, that they're now viewed uh, as loved and cherished and forgiven by God the Father. Would that evidence show up in your life? Is that, is that true of what you believe about, about Jesus? Who, who does the world say that Jesus is? Uh, this is audience participation time, right? Like, what, if, if you ask somebody in the world, just Joe on the street, what do you think they would say? Who is Jesus? A good man? What else? King of the Jews. Edgar, what would you say? Teacher. Yes. A prophet. Good. They keep coming. Emma, I'm <laughs> your savior. That's a good answer. She beat you guys. <laughs> Those are all great answers, and they're all true, and that's what the, the, the world would say a lot of things about it. Here, here's some of the list that I came up with, because I had a little bit more time than you guys to think about it, right? They say he's a wise teacher. They say he's a prophet, a gentle friend my life coach, my homeboy. He's a good example. He was a simple, misunderstood peasant. He was a man who got swept up and used by a religion. He was an important historical figure. He was one among many important religious leaders, Buddha, Gandhi, Muhammad, Moses. He was someone who gives me a better life. He's a means to an end. I mean, some of the preaching that we, we would hear in churches would lead you to believe that Jesus exists to give you something, right? That, that, that he's a way, he's a vehicle, he's a tool to get the things that you really want. And so I want you to think about a few moments ago when I asked you, who is Jesus? I want you to think about the answer that you, you, you would have shared with him. And, and is, are any of those identities reflected in the answer that you would have shared? And you might be partially there, <laughs> What you said of him might be true, but is it ultimately the core of his identity? Peter nailed it. Peter got to the core of his identity, and that's why Jesus praised him so richly. And so I want to encourage you today that, uh, hey, if you're honest, you say, yeah, you know what? My answer probably came up a little bit short. What I want to encourage you to do is to pray that Jesus would reveal himself more fully to you. And that leads us into our second point this morning. How do we come to this knowledge? How do we really come to know who Jesus is? Well, Jesus said to him, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. That when we come to really know the identity of Jesus, it is a gift from God. We talk about it all the time, right? But in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were dead in our trespasses. <laughs> Sometimes we think about salvation as like we're out, we're drowning, we're kind of sinking in the ocean, and we're about to go under, and then Jesus comes and grabs and pulls us out. But the biblical picture of, the, uh, of salvation is this. You went in the water, you swallowed the water, you sank to the bottom, <laughs> you were dead, and Jesus came and pulled you out and brought you back to life. And in that moment when you're laying on the bottom of the ocean, there is nothing that you can do to contribute to your salvation. <laughs> it's a work of God. If you know who Jesus is, it's because he's revealed it to you. Now, do we have a responsibility in, in responding to his revelation? Absolutely. <laughs> but the revelation and the faith come from him. It won't be discovered merely through research and study. And really, he's, he's saying to Peter, hey, I'm about to give you a great compliment. I'm about to give you a great compliment, but don't let it go to your head. 
you weren't the best listener. You weren't the valedictorian of my, of my disciple class. You weren't the sharpest tool in the shed, right? This isn't because you're so great, Peter. This is a gift from God. Receive it as a gift. And we should look at it that same way, right? Like if you know who Jesus is, by God's grace, if he's shown himself to you in humility, you should say, wow, that's a, what an incredible gift. And when we look at the world around us, we should say, wow, I wish they had the gift that God's given to me. Because I know he's generous and he has plenty of revelation to pour out. There should be no such thing as a proud, arrogant, self-righteous Christian. It just shouldn't exist. We should never look at someone and say, I'm better than you. Because whatever we have that's of value was given as a gift to us by our Heavenly Father. And I think he wants Peter to know that and I think he wants us to know that. So the application for this is simple, right? Ask. And God will reveal himself to you. In Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. If you want to know Jesus and you're like, man, I don't think I know Jesus in the way I need to know Jesus, but I want to, ask him today. Lord, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you. James 1, 5 says that if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. And I want to encourage you with this as well. That you're like, man, I might ask him, but he might not say yes. If you're asking Jesus, I want to know you, no one would ask that apart from God beginning to work in their heart already. And so uh, it tells us in, um, in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you're sitting here today saying, Lord, I want to know you better, but I don't know if I ever will or if I ever can. If you want to know him better, he will do that work. He is building his church. He will get you prepared to be a part of this wall. He will put in you the substance that you do not have so that you can be a part of his church. He will turn you into a stone in all the best ways. If you're there today, pray that. Third, what is the result of this knowledge? We know who Jesus is because God gave it to us as a gift. Now, what is, what is the result? Well, the big picture thing that we already talked about is that Jesus is building his church with those who have this heart, who know who he is. That's what he's doing to build his church. But there's, there's, a, there's a lot of challenges in this passage, okay? And now here's where we get into the slippery stuff. Uh, a lot of commentators point out that this is the most disputed passage probably in the entire New Testament as far as understanding what it means. And it all comes out of, uh, of verse 18 there, right? Where it says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And so what I want to do is uh, there, there's a lot of guys that are a lot more well-studied and, and, and more intelligent and deeper intellectually than I am, who have, who have offered up really good interpretations of this passage. And I think a lot of them have a lot of merit and value. And so I'm not here to, to give you the definitive final answer, right? You might read John Piper, and you might like his answer better, or you might read Tim Keller, or you might read whoever else, and you might, you might find that their answer uh, kind of makes more sense or fits it together better than you. But what I want to show you is that when you come to a difficult passage like this in the Bible, how do we approach it? And I would say that we want to center on what we really absolutely can know from this passage. And so whatever answer, whatever interpretation we settle on, it has to flow with what else is happening in this passage and what else happens in all of Scripture. What we see, it's not going to contradict itself, and it's not going to contradict Scripture. And so the answer has to be revealed by the text. We believe that God has revealed himself and given us everything we need in his word. And so what we need is in this passage. Now, part of the challenge is in the English translation, right? He says, you are Peter... 
and on this rock I will build my church. Uh, but the New Testament wasn't written in English. It was written mostly in Greek, right? And so in Greek, he says, you are Petros, which means rock. And on this Petra, rock, I will build my church. The, the feminine version was the more normal, that's the natural use of it. Petra means rock. You guys remember that awesome 80s rock band, Christian rock band, Petra, right? So, so that's, the, that's the natural thing. But, but to call Peter Petra uh, would have been weird because he would be calling him a girl's name, right? So, so essentially in Greek he says, you are Petros, and on this Petra I will build, I promise this is only going to last like two minutes. If you don't like Greek, I'll tell you when you can jump back on, but try and follow with this, right? And so there's a couple ways that, that scholars look at this, but, but let me point to, to what the challenge is, why it's so disputed. Uh, this is a passage that historically uh, was used uh, in the Roman Catholic Church to point to Peter essentially as being the first pope, as being a human being who was given an, a, a special uh, measure of, of power and authority here on earth, and that the popes that followed him in succession carried that same office and that same power. Now, whether you're here and you come from a Catholic background or not, whether uh, I'm not here with an axe to grind in any kind of way, um, but what I want to point out to you is that as we look at the text, it certainly signifies that there may be something significant about Peter. There's nothing in this text that talks about succession, about the next pope having that same sort of power. So if, if you believe in that, you've got to find that somewhere else in scripture or, or somewhere else, because it's not in this passage. Uh, so, so as far as succession, we can kind of rule that out. Now, we'll look at Peter's role here a little bit more carefully. Um, as, a, as a response to this, the Protestants tend to find uh, ways of writing Peter out of the text altogether. And so uh, they would lean towards an interpretation that would say, hey, you are Peter, and upon the profession of faith that you made, upon the profession of the identity of Jesus that you made, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build the church on that true thing that you said. And there's a lot of really good biblical scholars that say this is, this is the right way to interpret it, and, and I'll let you decide if that, if that resonates and makes sense with you. Um, but I think the challenge here is that we don't want to downgrade Peter. As you continue to read in the Bible, Peter plays a really significant role in the early church. He is a prime figure. Jesus uses him in a powerful way to build his church. And so he does have some personal, this is a personal statement as well as a, a universal statement to the church. Um, in a similar way to, I think sometimes as Protestant churches, we're guilty of downgrading Mary, right? Because uh, we don't want to worship Mary, and so then we kind of, we don't really respect the incredible blessed position that she has, that Mary was an amazing woman of God who was blessed with the, the honor of carrying the Savior. And so we should honor her. And we kind of don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Like, we, uh, we, we kind of find that, that biblical solid ground on which to stand in these issues. And so here's, here's the reading that I prefer. And, uh, and it's reflected pretty well. Uh, I think, like as I said, Peter had a role to play in the church. And, and in Ephesians 2, verse 19, it says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And so in Ephesians 2, it kind of echoes this concept that the apostles and the prophets are the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone. And we are being built into this church. It's, it's all of like substance. And so I felt like Charles Spurgeon said it really well. Here's what he said. This is his rough translation, or not translation, but he's like, basically this is what it's saying. Thou art Peter, 
a piece of rock. And on that rock of which you are a piece, I will build my church. He had by the revelation of the Father come to know the Son and to be identified with him. Thus, he was a stone of the one rock. Christ is the rock, and Peter has become one with him, and upon this rock is the church founded. I think that's pretty good, right? I, we're, we're Philly people, right? So Rocky is our patron saint, even though he's not real. He's fictional. He's not an athlete. He's not a real person, but he's somehow the greatest figure in Philadelphia history, right? But Rocky was not the most talented physical athlete. Uh, he didn't dominate in any way, but Rocky was of a substance. Rocky couldn't be beaten, right? He could take a licking and he kept on ticking. He wouldn't give up. He was just made of some stern substance. And I feel like Jesus is saying, hey, you're stone. You're rocky. And it's of rock, of stone. That's what I'm building my church on. And I've got a significant role for you, Peter, to play. And there's going to be others that I'm going to lay into that foundation. And I'm going to keep building my church. So the question for us this morning is, am I, am I stone? Am I rocky? Not because I'm a nice person, not because I'm talented, but because God has revealed himself to me and that has become the basis of my life. God's revelation of his true nature has become the foundation of who I am as a person because that's the kind of people that God is building his church with. That Jesus is, he's a stonemason and he's just putting it in there. And, and, and listen, the Pharisees came and said, hey, we're stones. And he says, no, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but it's rotten inside. You're not the kind of stone that I can use in my church. What kind of stone are you? There's a lot more in here. Uh, the, the keys to the kingdom, binding and loosing, and, and I encourage you to read up on it. And if, this is one of those things, I love to have dialogue. If there's something in my sermon today that you want to talk about, shoot me an email. Let's, let's talk. Let's continue on. Um, I do want to point out that you know, a key to the kingdom, a key opens up a door, right? And we see Peter using that key on the day of Pentecost when he preaches the gospel. He opens the door to salvation and 3,000 Jews come in and become part of the kingdom. We see him using that key to the kingdom when they hear that the Samaritans are now believing in Jesus and he goes and he preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them. We see him using that key to the kingdom to open up the kingdom to Cornelius and Gentiles when he goes and he preaches the gospel. And so in the same sense, we have the keys to the kingdom to preach the gospel and to open the door for people to come in to the kingdom. Essentially, we have administrative authority. We don't make the laws. We don't build the gates. But we administer it. We show people this is the gate. This is the law. This is who Jesus is. We administer what has been given to us by him. And the church does have spiritual authority here on earth, but not to make up the rules, to administer and enforce the rules that, that, that God has made. In the end, he says, uh, he says he warns them not to tell anyone he's the Messiah. It seems like a weird way to end the passage, right? And I'm going to let Alex pick up this thread here next week. Um, and you guys want to come back for that, Alex? It's next week, right, Alex? <laughs> uh, Alex Hanovich, uh, uh, one of our church planners, he's going out to plan a church in Bryn Mawr. And, and so next week you're going to have the privilege of hearing him preach, and, and it's going to be uh, awesome. But, but in the next passage, what we're going to see is Peter, who just made this incredible declaration and is praised by Jesus 
turns around, Jesus says, hey, I need to go to Jerusalem because I'm going to die. And Peter's like, nope, not you. <laughs> and he's like, Peter, I thought you knew who I, I was. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> right? The people didn't yet, even Peter who got it, who upon this rock I'm going to build my church, when he said I'm going to Jerusalem to die, he's like, no, no, no. You, you'll never go there. They, did, they couldn't wrap their mind. We have an understanding of who the Messiah is because we've seen Jesus revealed more fully. And so I think there's a sense in which he's like, hey, if you tell them I'm the Messiah, they're just not going to understand at this time all that that means. You guys are the best of the best, and you don't get it yet. They're not going to get it. I have work that I need to do. The Messiah must go, and he must suffer and die, and that's what I need to do. Well, I want to ask you this morning, are you stony? <laughs> Are you rocky? What is your role in the church that Jesus is building? Are you a piece of it? What does that look like? What are the good works that he's created you to do as part of his kingdom? How can you help others to know the true identity of Jesus? How can you be a bearer of the keys, and how can you help open up the kingdom to someone else? Help them to see who Jesus is. I want to invite you to pray about this this week, and the prayer for everyone, whether you've been following Jesus for 50 years or you have yet to place your faith in him, the prayer for all of us today is the same. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to me. Let's pray.